Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Praise God. Since you're there in Joshua chapter 1, stay right there in Deuteronomy chapter 34. We're studying out of Hebrews chapter 6, the six basic doctrines of Christ. Now we've already looked at faith toward God, uh, the doctrine of baptisms, and deliverance or, or repentance are turning from dead works. Uh, repentance from dead works is rejecting that or getting out of your life anything that would seem to have spiritual significance but has no spiritual basis in the Word of God. A lot of, uh, of, of demonic religions have that. They have their rituals. They have their way of doing things. And the problem is a lot of Christianity has that. Uh, there's no relevance to things that do not have scriptural basis. So when you repent or you turn from dead works, you're getting those works out of your life and you're involving yourself in works that produce life. Amen? Secondly, we looked at the uh, doctrine of baptisms. There's more than one baptism, and that's we're not talking about just water baptism. There's number one, first, foremost, most important, is baptism into the body of Christ. That's called salvation. That's called the new birth. Jesus is the one that said, you must be what? Born again. Secondly, there's the endowment of power. Baptism in the body of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes to abide on the inside. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, which is the second baptism, is the endowment of power. Now listen to me. It is a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ commands His followers to be filled with the Holy Ghost and to speak with other tongues. You say, well, how do I do that? You do that by faith. Not to do that is to settle for a whole lot less other than what God intended for you to have. And it is a radical departure from what I call nominal Christianity for an individual to get filled with the Holy Ghost and speak with other tongues. Amen? And then there's baptism in water, or what we call water baptism. This is one of the two ordinances of the church, communion, water baptism. And it is basic in its most basic explanation. It is the outward showing of the inward grace that has been imparted unto you. You are showing forth or identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You come in the name of Jesus to be baptized, and we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen? What was that? It was repentance from dead works, baptisms. What was the other one? Faith toward God. Yeah, faith toward God. Now, notice there's two. Faith toward God, which empowers you to believe there is a God, and faith in God, which appropriates all that God has provided for you in Christ. Now, three tonight. Laying on of hands. Everybody say, laying on of hands. Then there's the doctrine of what we call resurrection from the dead and then of eternal judgment. Now let's look at laying on of hands. First of all here, since you were in Joshua, instead of flipping all over the Bible, you can go right here to Joshua chapter 34 and look in verse 9. Verse 9 of Deuteronomy chapter 34 says, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Everybody say spirit of wisdom. For Moses had, Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and he did as the Lord commanded, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Now notice that again. Joshua the son of Nun was full of what? The spirit of wisdom. For Moses had what? Laid his hands upon him. Now we're going to see tonight as we look at a few scripture that there is several, what, how can I say this, applications 
of the laying on of hands. Now, here we could say, well, you know, here Joshua received a spirit of wisdom because Moses laid his hands upon him. But there's a little more to it like th than that. There was literally a transferring of the anointing that was on Moses over to Joshua. Joshua had a, an anointing to bring them in. Moses didn't have it. Moses had the anointing to bring them out. But he got himself in trouble when he struck the rock the second time. And that disqualified him for going into the promised land. So God raised up Joshua. Now let me say this about Joshua. God didn't just randomly look around and say, well, I'm going to pick this guy and do it for him. Joshua had served Moses his entire ministry. He had served for the anointing. Everybody, what do you mean? He said, what do you mean by that? He made a decision to get right in Moses' pocket. And everywhere Joshua, everywhere Moses went, Joshua was right there with him. Joshua became a commander of the army. He became a mighty warrior. And he became Moses' right-hand man because he chose to do so. Amen. Amen. You say, well, don't you think God chose him? I did, but God could choose you and you can choose not to do it. Amen. I mean, I've been around people for years in a servant's how can I say this? In a servant's setting in which I had opportunity to serve them. And I'm telling you, if any opportunity at all opened up for me to serve someone in a greater anointing than me, I jumped, I inconvenienced myself, I drove across the country, I did whatever it took to go serve that anointing. Amen? We were uh, going to, uh, when we were in field ministry, many times Brother Hagen would hold what we called Holy Ghost meetings. And so we would try to schedule meetings around the area in which he would be. And so uh, he was up at a friend of mine's church up in Alexandria, Louisiana. And so he said, uh, he said, hey, Rusty, why don't you do a favor for me? I said, what you want me to do? He said, y'all going to come to Brother Hagin's Holy Ghost meeting? We'd already made uh, uh, plans to be there. We were ministering in that area. I said, yeah, we're going to be there. He said, why don't you come? And why don't you cook for Brother Hagin? Why don't you fix gumbo? Why don't you fry shrimp? Why don't you fry oysters? Why don't you do whatever you, know, whatever you uh, do? Because they had eaten our, at our table several, several times. So we just we went out. And I'll tell you, this is like two days before we were supposed to do it. We went out and we bought shrimp. We bought oysters. We got everything to make. And we went in there and we served the anointing of God. I didn't get to go to service that morning. Brother Hagen walked in. I'm all covered with flour and, and, and grease and all kinds of stuff. But I worked and worked and prepared that meal and served the man of God, made him happy. And that opened the door for us to do that several more times down through the years. You say, why? I wanted to serve that anointing. I got to serve John Osteen. I got to serve Teal Osborne. I got to serve Lester Summerall. I got to serve those anointings. And I'll tell you, all they had to do was put a crack in the door, and I put my foot in the door and kick it open and go in there and serve that anointing. I do the same thing today for Pastor uh, Sam Carr. I do it for Pastor Mark Brzee. I do it for other ministers. I get around that anointing. I begin to serve that anointing. You say, why? Because there is a transference from those that serve to those that are being served of those that do it with the right heart and for the right reason. Amen? You say, well, what about you? I make it real difficult. You say, you do. I make it real difficult for people to serve the anointing. You say, why? Well, you got to want to. You got to want to. Because that want to on the inside of you will motivate you to do things like that. And that's what develops a true servant's heart. Amen. Now, everybody say for wisdom. Well, that wisdom was what? It was his leadership that he needed. 
For not only did he have to understand how to defeat the armies of God, uh, armies that were arrayed against God's people, but he was going to have to figure out how to cut up all that land and divide it under all those all those different 12 tribes. And not only that, well, 11 tribes, Levi didn't get any particular land. They, the, the, theirs was the whole portion of that. But literally, he had to divide up that land. He had to say, y'all get this and y'all get that. And then in those within those tribes, they divided it up among the families. Amen. Don't you think that took some wisdom? I mean, if you've ever tried to divide up an inheritance between kids, could you imagine how that went among a nation of about two and a half, three million people? Well, you needed some wisdom to do that. And thank God the wisdom that Moses walked in was transferred to Joshua, and he brought them in. Amen? Now, go, go if you will. Uh, that's, that's for wisdom. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, if you will, go, go down to verse 13. Now, this is the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I'm not really going to dig into a lot of healing, the laying on of hands for healing, because that's probably what we're most familiar with because of Mark chapter 16. Go ye into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, those that believe be saved, those that don't be damned, these signs shall follow them that believe. Amen. Uh, they shall uh, uh, cast out devils, speak with new tongues. Uh, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And we saw that predominantly in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of the people he ministered to, he laid hands upon them. Are you with me? But now notice this. Here's another laying on of hands of the ministry of the Lord Jesus that's also practiced today. Verse 13, it says, Then, then were there brought unto him little children that he should put his hands upon them and pray, and the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Suffer little children, and forbid them not to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands upon them and departed thence. Now, here Jesus is laying hands for blessing. Now, we do that from time to time. We lay hands on people for no other reason other than blessing. Everybody say blessing. Now, sometimes if you've been in many of our services around here, there'll be times when the Spirit of God will move in an unusual way. And the joy of God will be in manifestation. People will begin to laugh. People will begin to enjoy the presence of God. And there are times when I'll just walk around and I'll look for people. And I can tell when I get in the Spirit, I'll look for people that will draw that anointing. Now, if a person is having a difficult time drawing on that anointing, sometimes I'll go up and I'll lay hands upon them. Now, I've noticed as I sat under the ministry of Brother Hagin, and he would operate in the Spirit that way, the Spirit of God spoke unto him and said, all you have to do is get within the vicinity of an individual. That's why many times if that anointing hits, I'll come across the front of this row, and people up on the first row will start laughing. I don't even have to lay hands upon them. But it seems like as it goes back, it gets more and more difficult. That's why you ought to sit up front. Well, I was, I've been a front row sitter for 34 years. You say, why? Wow, you want the anointing. The anointing's closer to the front. That doesn't mean it can't reach the back. Amen. But where you sit says a whole lot about you. Just thought I'd throw that out there. You say, what do you mean? Like Some people like to stay closer to the door. I'd rather be closer to the anointing. Amen. But many times what I'll do, if I sense a person is really desirous and they're trying, but they can't, I'll lay hands upon them. Now, that's just for blessing. That's just for blessing is all that is. You say, what is blessing? 
Blessing is an empowerment. I'm telling you, I've heard of people. We've seen it in meetings for many years. People especially that struggle with depression. Many times when that spirit of joy begins to move and the spirit of God begins to break through and people begin to laugh and rejoice in the Lord and people begin to abandon themselves in the anointing, it'll break the spirit of depression over them. I've seen it break the spirit of addiction over people. I've seen it break all kinds of things that were negative and harmful to men and women of God as they yielded to the anointing other than just laying hands for healing. Can I get a better amen than that? And many times, and it works with me like this, I don't know with other people, but with me, many times it's when I touch someone or lay hands upon them that I can begin to sense the word of knowledge begin to operate. Most of the people I ever minister to with the word of knowledge, I really don't begin to get things until I lay a hand upon them. But once I lay a hand upon them, because you remember what laying on of hands is overall, and the reason it is a basic doctrine of Christ is the laying on of hands is a point of contact and transmission. It's a place where two Two points of faith should come together and, and activate the anointing and activate that which God is trying to do. That's why it's important. That's why the Apostle Paul says, be careful who you lay, ha lay, have lay, lay hands upon you. I've seen people that run off to meetings of ministers they're not familiar with. And if there's anything kinky in that meeting, if there's familiar spirits, if there's, if there's anointings that are contrary to a move of God, people will pick that up just like that. I mean, just like a sponge, they'll pick it up. Because those type of spirits more readily attach themselves to people more readily than even the Holy Spirit. You say, why? Because the Holy Spirit is holy. Amen. But I'm telling you, I've seen people even in the ministry that function under, under familiar spirits and all kinds of wicked stuff that don't want to even get rid of it. They want to hold on to it because it gives them an unction to function. Amen? Let me help you with that a little bit. Some of you may need to hear some of this. Such like when, say the word of knowledge in operation. The word of knowledge is a portion or a part. How do we get off on this? Good anyway, you need to hear it. A portion or a part of the knowledge of God and God has all, has all knowledge. It's talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. God has all knowledge. So God will give someone a word of knowledge. That is a part of his knowledge that deals with a particular situation, usually in the present. Now, it is not wrought with impertinent information. If you have a hurt leg and a word of knowledge comes to the minister that you have a hurt leg and he gives out something like, you know, I sense in my spirit someone here has got a hurt leg and that's you, you don't need to know your name. You don't need to know your phone number. You don't need to know your address. You don't need to know any other impertinent information like that. All of that add-on stuff is not the Holy Ghost. That is familiar. You say, where'd you find that out? From the Word of God and from people that I have confidence in that were in ministry for 60 and 70 years that flowed in these things, that sat me down on their floor and taught me these things. And many times when that begins to happen, a sensational spirit will come in. It will electrify the crowd. The crowd will begin to woo and ah, and it draws great attention to who? To the person. Woo, man, they must be anointed. They must be full of the Holy Ghost. They must be full of power, and all they are is full of devils. Amen? And I've seen it ruin churches, ruin meetings, and ruin all kinds of people. You say, why? You don't need, you don't need to know your number on your prescription bottle. You already know that. 
What you need to know is God has singled you out for special ministry, and he has given you that word to cause your faith to rise to another level so that you can receive from God on that level through a word of knowledge. Well, well I better quit or I'll stay on that. We're teaching on laying on of hands. Everybody say laying on of hands. Now, go to, let's see. Man, I've got so many marked here. Go to Acts. Go to Acts chapter. Well, go to Acts chapter 8, then we'll look at Acts chapter 13. Book of Acts, chapter 8, laying on of hands. I was a laying on of hands. Now, great revival had broken out in Acts chapter 8 over in Samaria. Philip, the Bible says, Philip went down and preached Christ unto them. Everybody say Christ. That is the message. Amen. Everybody say Jesus is the message. Now, notice this. It says, let me get over there. It says here, It says here in verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Everybody say, receive the Holy Ghost. Now these people that are receiving the Holy Ghost are already saved. They're born again. Everybody say, born again. So these born-again believers wanted that subsequent experience. They wanted that endowment with power. They wanted that supernatural language to rise up out of their spirit. They wanted to receive from God because of His goodness. Now, obviously, Philip did not have a ministry of laying on of hands for people to receive the Holy Ghost. There is a ministry of the laying on of hands. Let me finish reading the Scripture. You'll see this. He sent for them Peter and John. When they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was not fallen upon none of them, for they were baptized in the name uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Look at verse seventeen again. Then laid there they ha their hands upon them, laid their hands upon them, laid their hands upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Now there are men and women who are anointed with a ministry of laying on of hands. For people to receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Now let me say that again. There are people who are anointed by God. And I'm telling you, they can get up and preach on Job's ox. And never even mention the Holy Ghost. And call people up. Who wants to get filled with the Holy And just lay, lay their hands on them. They get filled with the Holy Ghost just like that. I ministered with a guy, guy for many years. It was just like that. I mean, he could do it. I don't have that gift. I've never operated or flowed in that. I've always got to teach people. I've got to instruct people. Now, I've had some supernatural things happen. Two different times I saw people baptized in the Holy Ghost in mass without ever laying hands upon them. I mean, just like in Acts chapter 10, Peter didn't lay hands on him. While he yet spake the word, the Holy Ghost fell on those that heard the word. I've seen that happen two different times. 400 people in one and 200 people, actually three different times, excuse me, three different times. 200 in one, 200 in another, and 400 in another. Well, I just got up and started exhorting people on receiving the Holy Ghost, fully intending after teaching and exhorting them to lay hands upon them. They just got it like that. Like you'd snap your finger. Well, that's supernatural. That's just an outpouring of the Spirit of God. But there are people. Now notice, Philip was flowing powerfully in the things of God. I mean, the lame were walking. Uh, those that had palsy, many demon-possessed people were getting delivered. But obviously, he understood 
the flow of the Spirit in his own life and ministry, and he sent word. When this revival began to break out, he sent word. Hey, buddy, run to Jerusalem as fast as you can. Tell them we're having an outpouring. People are getting saved. They're getting delivered. We're casting out devils. Lame people are walking. Man, get Peter and John or somebody that flows in the Holy Ghost in that other gifting of laying on of hands and get them down here. They'll lay hands on people. They need the Holy Ghost. Amen? So that's another ministry. Everybody say ministry of laying on of hands. So we see an impartation of wisdom, a transference of anointing. We see for blessing. Everybody say for blessing. And here's for baptism in the Holy Ghost. Now, since we're right there in Acts chapter 8, go to Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. Now, look there in verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, which was called Niger, and Lucius of Serene, Manahan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, now notice this, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Now, Literally, this is a separation unto ministry. There should be a separation unto ministry. Now, I've had hands laid on me for separation unto ministry. When I graduated from Bible school in 1985, Pastor John Osteen laid hands on me for separation unto ministry. When I was a member of Abundant Life, Abundant Life Christian Center in Lamarck, the first missions trip I took overseas, hands were laid upon me to separate me for international ministry. I've had hands laid on me for, from other men of God that laid hands on me for separation unto ministry. You say, why is that? God delights in letting people know publicly through the laying on of hands that these people are being separated unto the ministry that God has called them to. We did that with, with Ryan and Kimberly Penn. We've done that with others that have gone out on missions trips and other things. Now, many times we do it like this upon request. You say, well, why don't you just lay hands on everybody? You ought to have enough sense. I mean, I ask people. I get around men of God, powerful anointed people, the power of God upon them. I say, lay hands upon me. Put your hands upon me. Man, I'll tell you, I had T.L. Osborne do it one time for 20 minutes. He washed me around the, 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 the hotel there at the airport in Dallas, Texas. Hands upon me, held me in a, in, a, in a bear hug, stepped away from me, laid his hands upon me. I'm telling you, he prayed till I felt like I was going to fall down. You say, why? I desired it. Other ministers, Brother Shambach, Jesse Duplantis, Kenneth Copeland, Jerry Savelle. I mean, I had, I had a list in one of my prayer logs that long of people. Rod Parsley. I mean, I could go on and on. Charles Capps. I could go on and on. I'd get around them. I'd say, lay hands on me. Lay hands on me. Lay hands on me. I need that anointing. I need whatever's in you to stir up what's on the inside of me. Amen? Now, see, we don't do that so much today because people don't desire. They say, well, if they want to, I, if they'll call me out of the crowd. Man, I used to go to people in, in green rooms and hallways. I mean, I'd catch them in the parking lot and say, lay hands on me. You gotta, let me just say this. you got to be hungry for the things of God. you got to be hungry enough to embarrass yourself. you got to be hungry enough to take chances. Come on, church. You say, well, you were just around all those, all those high roads. No, no, I'm telling you, I'd just, I'd just break in, just butt in and say, I want the anointing. Just lay hands on me. You got, you got to be, listen, you got to be hungry enough to do it. 
lot of people just aren't. They just kind of complacent and say, back, well, if God wants me to have it, well, why don't you do something about it? Your zeal for God will manifest in your desire to get anything you can get from God. And if you can get it through somebody else, however you can get it, you'll go after it and God will vindicate that in your life. Man, I've been preaching in different places and different situations knowing that I needed to draw on something that was deposited in me through ministry of somebody else. And I could see that rise up in me. And I could see a boldness come. I remember one time they brought this little old kid in. He didn't weigh but probably 60 or 70 pounds. And four big men could not hold him. They just tossed him all over the place. And I'm telling you, when I saw, I mean the crowd, they just opened like the Red Sea. And this kid's lying on the floor, and he's getting up trying to make his way toward me. And I could literally feel the boldness of Dr. Summerall come on me. I jumped off that platform. I hit the floor running. I grabbed that guy. I said, in the name of Jesus, you foul devil, come out of him now in the name. And that kid was delivered, saved, filled with the Holy Ghost. We went to his house that night and cleaned his room out. And that kid is still serving God today, 20-something years later, over in Ireland. You say, why? Because I want it. If it's available, I want it. I'm going to get it. Amen? Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, go, over, if you will, over to Timothy, 2 Timothy. Let me find it. I'm not going to be able to get to the other two tonight. But this is good. You like this? Let me get over there myself. 2 Timothy. I probably need to spend a little more time on the other two anyway. They're pretty powerful. Now, this is 2 Timothy chapter 1. Now, always remember this. And this is something that I've kind of, I don't know. It's, it's come and gone in my life, but it's gotten stronger here recently. And I'm going to not only minister it, but practice it. The move of God is perpetual. No generation separates itself from another generation can, can expect any type of a move of God or a move of the Holy Ghost. You say, what do you mean by that? You can't reject men of God and women of God that set a standard of holiness and righteousness and just reject who they are and what they've done and think God will move in your generation. Because the Bible says to not only honor them, but if they've lived the kind of life they're supposed to as examples before the body of Christ, they're worthy of double honor. And I've never in my life seen so much dishonor in the body of Christ toward men of God. Not men of God that are alive today, men of God that have gone on to heaven and received their reward. But the previous generation, with the limited technologies that they had, maximized the potential of the anointing and won millions and millions and millions of people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Signs and wonders and miracles were done. Doctrines were established. The doctrines of faith and prosperity and gifts of the Spirit and the baptism. Listen, without those things, we'd be in the dark ages. But in today, in most of the, I had a guy tell me this recently. He said, you know, uh, I would never, ever, in my pulpit, mention Kenneth Hagin's name. I thought, you ought to shut your stinking church down. That's what I thought. You say, why? Because that guy wouldn't even be where he was if it wasn't for Brother Hagin. You say, what do you mean by that? There are men of God that have paid the price, that have set a standard of righteousness and holiness that this generation has literally disdained and dishonored. We don't do that around here. We thank God for them. We honor them. And we're not, I'm not afraid to talk about Brother Hagin, Brother Oral Roberts, Brother Osteen, none of them. Because all of those men, as many mistakes as they did make, they made one right decision, and that was to serve God in their generation and bring a move of God to their generation. And those men should be honored 
in every house of God that names the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and is full of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now, with that in mind, listen to this. 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, uh, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now, if you'll back up to verse 3. I wanted to read that one first because of laying on of hands. If I say laying on of hands. By the putting on of my hands. That's the Apostle Paul to Timothy. I ask you a question. You think Timothy ever mentioned Paul's name from the pulpit? I bet he did. I almost guarantee you he did. Now notice this. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I might be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfringed faith that is in thee, which dwelt first, or I say first, in thy grandmother Lois. Did you know that was my grandmother's name? That was full of the Holy Ghost and was an intercessor? And in thy mother Eunice. Well, my, other, my mom was D, but that's all right. It says that I'm persuaded that it's in thee also. Now listen, he is showing a generational move of God. He's saying, it's in your mama, it's in your grandma, and it's in you. Amen? Now notice what it says. That's, that's why what's in you, you get full of the Holy Ghost, it ought to be in your children, and it ought to be in your grandchildren. That's the greatest transfer of the anointing and of the blessing of God is from generation to generation, especially the parental. Oh, I've got a better amen than that. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So there, this is laying on of hands for impartation. Everybody say impartation. Now I guarantee you this ministry of the laying on of hands for impartation, you better not take it for granted and you better take it very seriously. Many times when we have men and women of God, especially those that are, that are, that are uh, missionary how would you say, active in the missions field, we'll call for an altar call for people that feel like they're called to missions. Say, why don't you come up and have hands laid? Don't you ever take that lightly. Well, I'm going to go up there and have them lay hands on me and see what will happen. Don't you do that. You better know in your heart that you're called to the mission field. Pastors, if there's pastors, many times we've done it with pastors, lay hands upon them. Others, uh, prophets and evangelists and teachers, people that are going off to Bible school to get trained to do this and do that, laying hands upon them for an impartation and a stirring up of that which is already in them and an impartation of that which God wants to do. That's why you cannot take for granted any, any words you get from God when hands are laid upon you and the Word of God is spoken over you because literally God is pronouncing over you His desire for your life to impart unto you something that is of God that will bless people. And so many people just take that and say, well, you know, and they don't do anything with that. Listen, if you've got something in your heart, if you've got something in your spirit and God has spoken to you and you've had hands laid on you, you better get busy. You better go right into a phase of preparation in your life. And as you're in a phase of preparation, you ought to be preparing yourself for separation and impartation of gifts so that you can go out and do the ministry God's called you to do. I started in ministry literally weeks after I came back to the Lord. But I had men of God lay hands upon me. 
Papa Ward laid hands upon me. Mom Goodwin laid hands upon me. There were others that laid hands upon me. And I'm telling you, I didn't even know what I was doing. But I was out ministering. I was out sharing my testimony. People were getting blessed, touched by God, delivered, healed. We were seeing people get saved. And when I went into Bible school, honey, I went in and I began to be the best student and servant I could be. And God just opened door after door after door. And I graduated from Bible school on a Sunday night and the next Saturday, I was on the road to start my first revival. You say, why? Because I believed God for it while I was in Bible school. Amen? You say, well, I want to do something for the Lord. Then do it. Well, there's no doors open. Then build one. Amen? I mean, there's all, with the whole world going to hell in mass. This is not the 80s or the 90s. This is not like it was at the winding up end of the charismatic move. The church today is asleep. It's asleep. Man, there were days when people would be out on the streets knocking on doors, out there witnessing people, doing all kinds of the work of the ministry. Just lay people, much less the ministry. And people have pulled back into their little corners, little religious corners, Waiting for God to do something. God ain't going to do nothing. He expects us to do what we should be doing with what we have. And then to increase it and see it. I'm kind of like this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out into it. And if it ain't God, He'll tell me no before I do it. But if He don't tell me no before I do it, I'm going to do it. Amen. We're planning in May. I think it's the 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th. Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We're going to advertise. I'm writing a letter. I've got the, I'm editing part of it on my desk right now. We're going to have seven nights of revival. We're going to invite every church. We're going to invite every pastor. In that letter, I'm not pulling no punches. I'm talking about moves of God I've been in. And I'm talking about how dead churches are right now. And I'm talking about how divided the churches are on this island. And let me just say this. Somebody's not going to come on this island who is not a pastor. Let me say that again. Somebody's not going to come on this island who is not a pastor and bring a move of God. I mean, I've been invited to prayer meetings. I've had people come sit in my office. I've been people, you need to do this. And I ask, well, who are you? Well, I'm just so-and-so. What kind of ministry? Well, I don't know. I've just got a heart for that. I tell them, well, I'm sorry. I can't cooperate with what you're doing. Whatever pastor that's asked me to do something, I've went and done what they've asked me to do. But the problem is, after that, we go back to our own corner and hang out there and then wonder what God's going to do. God's going to wait for us to do something, for us to initiate something. People say, who's going to speak? I don't know. I haven't, even, I haven't asked one person to speak. Probably won't. We may come and pray four nights. We may come and worship four nights. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do what God says do. And we're going to do something, least we do nothing. And we may just lay hands on everybody for four nights till we get rid of the apathy and complacency and the stinking offense that tends to rise up and stagnate the move of God everywhere God tries to move. Amen. You say, why? You have to want it. You have to, and listen, let me just say this, and I'll close with this. I don't know how we keep getting off on this, but we're talking about revival, the laying on of hands, because anytime there is a move of God, there's a lot of laying on of hands. 
There's laying on of hands for healing. There's laying on of hands for restoration. There's laying on of hands for wisdom. There's laying on of hands that begin to initiate the move and the gifts of the Spirit. There's laying on of hands for, for separation unto ministry. I mean, what better way to be separated unto the, to, to the ministry than out of a revival somewhere where God is moving constantly and hands are laid on you to take that somewhere else? But I'm telling you, Lee and I, during our field ministry, we're involved in two legitimate real revivals. One of them in the nation of Ireland, which was perpetual. And I'm telling you, foolishness brought it to an end, and God is trusting us to raise it up again. Just flat foolishness ended it. But listen, God protected us and kept us out of that. And then on the west coast of the island of Hawaii, we, we literally saw it for 10 years. And it climaxed with a great move of God that affected six churches. But let me tell you something. That does not just happen. It cost hundreds of thousands of dollars and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of people's time that is willing to get on their knees and pray. That's exactly what happened to Israel. When Israel began to cry out to God, in, in Egypt, the taskmasters, they kept them under the whip. They kept them beat down, and they begin to cry out. They had heard the stories about Joseph. They had heard the stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They had heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But they ain't had no God in 400 and something years. And they begin to cry out and cry out, and the Bible says this, God heard their prayer. And if God is willing to hear the prayer of those that aren't even born again, how much more willing is He able to hear the cry of His children that will cry out and say, Lord, we need something. We need a move of God. We need the power of the Holy Ghost. We need the anointing of God. We can't speak for anybody else but this church right here. And we want, we need, and we desire, and we've got to be willing to pay the price and pray the price. Amen. I spend most of my time around here fighting. I mean fighting, and it's been a fight, and I'm going to continue to fight till it's defeated. Fighting the spirit of apathy and complacency. Just that. Don't come to prayer tonight? Nah. Why not? I don't know. Go to church tonight? Oh, I don't know. American Idol's on. No, I know you're here on Wednesday night, but you laugh. But I'm going to tell you something about revival and about a move of God. It is a major interruption in your life and lifestyle with the glory of God. It is God's glory interrupting that, the affairs of men and women, God's glory will interrupt it. And I'm telling you, around here, we're beginning to see, we're seeing just like little glimpses, little, little flashes, little, just a little indication that we might be moving in the right direction. Amen? So we have to persevere, and we have to stay with it, and we have to make a decision. These major doctrines like this, the laying on of hands, man, anytime the Spirit of God gets to moving, you need to get to moving. And let the Spirit of God bless you, touch you. And the ministry of laying on of hands was put in the Word of God for that point of contact, transmission of power, stirring up the anointing, healing power of God, blessing of God, and separation of that which God desires to do because God wants His family to grow in this day and hour. Amen?
Lift your hands and worship the Lord. Father, we worship you tonight. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you, Father, that here at Island Church, we're seeing the absolute destruction of these spirits of apathy and complacency that keep people in such, in such the doldrums of the spirit realm. But, Father, let a fire of God, let a zeal of God rise up in God's people, just like you did in the book of Acts. You baptized them with the Holy Ghost and fire and fire. And we thank you for the fire of God falling in this place, touching the hearts and lives of people. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Stand on your feet, if you will. i was been listening to some ministers' conferences. Actually, the last three or four years of Pastor John Osteen's life, he was sharing the testimony of how he was, uh, how he began to seek God, seek the power of God. He was pastoring in Baytown, Baytown, Texas, and uh, he met an Assembly of God preacher. And there was a, a, remember Brother McCarkle? Brother McCarkle was at this Assembly of God's church. And a little girl stood up nine years old and gave a message in tongues. And Brother McCarkle, he ministered in a certain area of Africa. So he raised his hand and I said, well, Brother McCarkle, what do you have? He said, he said, this girl, this young girl has just spoken in the language of the tribes that we minister to there in, in, uh, in, in Africa. Well, this Assembly of God pastor in Baytown, who Brother Osteen said, my church was three times as big as him, so I thought I knew a whole lot more than he. He said, we had breakfast together every Monday morning. And he's telling me this story. And when he said, this nine-year-old girl stood up and spoke in tongues, he said, my first thought was, oh, poor thing. She'll be in a mental institute by the time she's 10. He said, but when he said that Brother McCarkle talked about that was in the language of this African tribe. And, and you know, the message was some blessing the glory of God and all that God was doing and everything and uh, he said when I got home he said something in me just what he said just wouldn't leave me and he said I so I started reading the Bible and he said one scripture got in me so strong he said it was John baptized with water but the day's coming when I'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire and he said I wonder what that fire is and I wonder if that fire is available today well Long story short, he sought God, was baptized in the Holy Ghost in 1958. It was probably 1961 or 62, the first time I ever saw John Osteen. And I was walking up the aisle of our church, and our church had a had like a little uh, room that came forward like that, and actually what it was was part of the foyer, and the door opened on that side, and a door opened on this side. And so I'm walking up that aisle, and Brother Osteen with his family, with Dodie and uh, several of his children, came through that door. I didn't know who he was. I was probably only six or seven years old. But I never forget to this day when I saw him with my eyes, I saw fire on him. I saw, he found the fire. He found the fire. He had to look for it. He had to search for it. He had to get rid of years. They came over to Houston they, they pioneered Hibbard Memorial Baptist Church, built the building, everything was great. He was being groomed to take over either First Baptist or Second Baptist. And then all of a sudden, they had that birth of Lisa, born without any sucking reflexes, cerebral palsy, no hope, crippled child. And he went on a quest to find that fire. And he got filled with the Holy Ghost. He had to, he had to get rid of all his doctrinal indoctrination and follow God and follow the Holy Ghost.
You say, why? Listen, it's worth it to find the fire. In your life, you say, well, I'm not called to be a John Osteen. I'm not called to even uh, pastor a church. It does not matter. I can tell you story after story of just regular people. Regular people. What I hadn't thought about in years. Just, just, just a crazy person. A crazy person. Dad remembers him. Casey Jones. He was a mover. He used to move buildings over in Baytown. He was just so on fire for God. He led hundreds of people to the Lord. Now, he had a crew that was pretty rough. And he had witnessed to them and witnessed to them and witnessed to them and witnessed to them. And they just kind of just shunned him on, you know. And so they had to go outside of, they were, he was from Beaumont. He was from Beaumont. He had to go outside of Beaumont and move a house. And so they had this, 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 all this equipment, this moving, and they forgot, and they were miles from their shop, the main chain that you need to chain that, that, that house onto that trailer. So he gathered those men around, and he said they were right there with a highway, some highway that would turn, turned and went like this, and they were on a little off-road right there. And so he said, man, we're going to pray, and God's going to give us a chain. He said those men began to laugh. He said, I lifted my hand. I began to pray, Lord, show these heathens. That's what he said. Show these heathens that God is the God of miracles. He said, he began to cry out to God. And he says, here came this truck down the road, just bouncing down the road. And it had a, had a the, the back thing of the truck was open. And when it went around that corner, a huge chain came out and rolled itself up right at Casey Jones' feet. Am I right? You remember that testimony? All nine of those men hit the ground on their knees. Got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost right there. So it's not just for preachers. It's for whosoever desires. And we're going to see more services around here where we can lay hands on people and minister and impart unto you. But we ain't going to impart to nobody. It's not going to do anything with it. What good does that do? you got to do something with it. Amen. Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, as we leave, thank you that you're stirring something in our spirits. Thank you that something is being stirred on the inside of us. Thank you as you leave as we leave tonight as always. We're so thankful how you protect us, how you keep us, how you minister unto us. You're protecting power through Psalms 91. And we declare no evil befalls us, no plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels of God have charge over us. And we thank you, Lord God. Here at Island Church, whether we travel on the ocean or the highways, the airways, the seaways, the railways, or any other way of travel or transportation, thank you. We're safe kept and protected. The righteous labor of our hands, whether we work in medicine, education, up in the oil patch, whether we're just housewives or whether we're working in construction, does not matter. Thank you that we're kept from the evil plans of wicked men. Thank you that no calamity comes upon us. Thank you that no trauma or tragedy comes into our lives. For we abide under the shadow of the Most High. And Lord, drive out of us the apathy and complacency that it tends to set up in us outside the church. Let us be bold as lions with the gospel. Let us speak the word of life unashamedly. Let us be a, a, a blessing to people. There are people crying out today for deliverance. Send us to them, Lord. And we'll be your messengers, bringing your word and your power into their life. Thank you, Father, as we leave tonight. We walk in faith and love towards you and love toward one another. Thank you for our church. 
We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.